focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters, Kwon Soa and Cheng Sebong this time. Uh, guys, welcome back. Good Hi. Good to see you. Uh, let's uh, start things off with the uh, South Korean President Yoon suk yeol and his first trip to Southeast Asia, which kicked off on this uh, Friday. Uh, President has a full-packed schedule ahead, although we mentioned uh, previously that it was a bit organized a change here and there. Uh, because of the situation here in Korea where he's not going to be staying as long as he was going to previously. Uh, but uh, this uh, packed schedule that we're seeing over in Southeast Asia, it's going to be he's going to be taking in uh, multilateral talks as well as bilateral uh, summits as well. So uh, start us off uh, and give us a rundown on uh, what we can expect during his uh, trip there. All right. So President Yoon Seok-yeol and uh, First Lady Kim Gani arrived in Cambodia this uh, Friday afternoon after they departed at Seoul Air Base in Songnam this morning. And uh, there they were greeted uh, by the Environment Minister of Cambodia as well as uh, the um, the ambassadors uh, in Korea, the K- Korean ambassador in Cambodia, uh, as well as other officials. And uh, this trip takes uh, President Yoon to Cambodia uh, for ASEAN-related meetings in Phnom Penh, as well as Indonesia in Bali, where the G20 summit is going to take place. So this trip is going to be from the 11th today, this Friday, until the 16th on Wednesday. That's when he returns to South Korea. So this is his first visit to Southeast Asia since his inauguration, and it's his third overseas schedule. So today, his first official schedule is going to be the Korea ASEAN summit. And then on Saturday, he'll be take uh, he'll be at the ASEAN Plus Three Summit, which includes South Korea, China, and Japan. So Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida, as well as Chinese Premier Li Keqiang, uh, will be joining President Yoon. Now on Sunday, the East Asia Summit will take place, as well as a trilateral summit between the leaders of South Korea, the U.S., and Japan. And this would be the second one in this format. Uh, the last one was held uh, in Spain before at the NATO Summit. Uh, And uh, also a number of uh, bilateral meetings are expected. Uh, First off, a a bilateral between uh, President Yoon and his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden. Um, I think the exact schedule has not been out yet. Uh, But uh, we're also expecting a bilateral uh, maybe with his Japanese counterpart Kishida. But there is no no official comment on that one-on-one yet either. Because even with, uh, you know, previously during uh, other gatherings when the, they said it was a summit. Uh, Japan basically said that no, it was not a summit. It was just a you know, just a short discussion. As well. Informal talks is what they said. Right. And uh, a number of other summits with the leaders of Cambodia, Thailand and the Philippines are expected as well. Now then on starting on Monday, President Yoon is going to be in Indonesia, in Bali, and that for the G20 summit. But first on Monday, there's going to be the B20 summit. So that's uh, among 
among the business uh, officials, yeah, business yeah. leaders. And then on, on Tuesday, the actual G20 summit uh, will be held. And there, the focus is on whether President Yoon will have his first encounter with uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping. Of course, they're going to meet, but uh, not an official summit is expected. Officials say it's going to be a kind of natural meeting. And Yoon is going to depart around midnight and then arrive in Seoul on Wednesday. Now, before embarking on this trip, President Yoon took to Facebook, uh, pledging to, quote, do my best to meet the expectations of the people and produce practical achievements to support our national interests and economic growth. And he also added that he is going to put efforts to look into ways of cooperation in high-value-added industries and digital sectors, highlighting that ASEAN is South Korea's second-largest trading partner and uh, that Seoul has close ties to this bloc. Uh, and uh, actually, President Yoon is not going to be there throughout the entire G20 no. official meetings. And I think that has got to do with his uh, other schedules in Seoul later on next week, because between the 17th and 18th, he's going to have some meetings with uh, his counterparts in Netherlands as well as Spain. Uh, both of them are the prime ministers that are expected in Seoul. That's right. Again, I mean, this is going to be an interesting, I mean, the ASEAN meetings are going to be always interesting, but the G20 uh, meeting, the, the G20 summit is going to be the biggest one there. I mean, that's going to be the one that everyone is going to be watching very carefully. There's a number of interesting meetings to take place. We talked about the uh, the trilateral meeting between the leaders of South Korea, the U.S. and Japan that's going to take place. Uh, and of course, the leaders of those two country, uh, three countries uh, having their bilateral summits. And then there's the big one between Joe Biden and Xi Jinping, that's that discussion there. And uh, also, if if uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin, because Russia is you know, still part of the G20, if uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin is there, uh, the consensus is that a lot of the world leaders may actually walk out uh, and show some sort of uh, boycott. Um, but it, Where did that happen before? I think that was also an ASEAN summit yeah, before. Yeah, that has happened as well. That, that was for the ASEAN. Maybe it was for uh, Myanmar. Because Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it might have been for Myanmar when there was the uh, the, uh, the the coup, right? The, the mm-hmm. military coup that happened, and then uh, the military government that came to uh, the ASEAN summit. I think there was uh, some sort of a boycott that happened, um, but uh, it's gonna be really, really interesting. But I, I was kind of hoping that, to be honest with you, because Xi Jinping is now just recently. Uh, making these overseas trips, as you know, because of the COVID-19, uh, you know, he hasn't been traveling abroad or anything like this. So I think recently, like he's traveled to like Kazakhstan as well. But, you know, it would have been nice for him to take an opportunity to meet with, uh, you know, President Yoon Sagyar, you know, the leaders of the, you know, South Korea and China. I think the whole talks, I think it will be important. But none of that uh, happening. Uh, just uh, what is it? As you said, it was just going to be a natural meeting, whatever that means. Uh, nevertheless, um, there's going to be a lot of discussions, of course, there. Uh, I'm sure one of the things that they're going to be discussing, uh, especially when leaders of uh, South Korea, U.S. and Japan meet is going to be in regards to North Korea. Uh, Washington continues to express its concerns about the regional security here. And the two leaders, uh, again, of South Korea and the United States, uh, soon to have their summit talks uh, regarding this matter in Cambodia.
Cambodia and Indonesia. Let's talk more about this. Hebom, you have the details. Sure. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said yesterday that the United States continues to remain concerned about a potential North Korean nuclear and missile test. As previously reported several times, North Korea seems that it already completed its preparation for its seventh nuclear test and that it may only be waiting for a decision from its leader Kim Jong-un. And Sullivan also noted that Pyongyang would conduct its seventh nuclear test at some point sooner or later, and the U.S. concerns is still a real. As Pyongyang has fired some 60 ballistic missiles this year, increasing tensions on the Korean Peninsula, President Yoon Suk-yeol will hold a bilateral summit with President Biden when they attend regional summits in Cambodia and Indonesia and discuss Pyongyang's nuclear and ballistic missile programs to enhance peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific region. It's said that there will also be a trilateral summit between South Korea, the U.S. and Japan. Sullivan highlighted that the U.S. is in very tight coordination with both South Korea and Japan and the trilateral meeting will be a significant milestone in the trilateral relationship and will help only strengthen coordination on North Korea. Not only Pyongyang's nuclear and ballistic missile programs, cyber threats from the North will also be another important topic of the ROK-US summit. Earlier this month, the U.S. held an international meeting to address ransomware threats with some 30 countries, including South Korea, the U.K., and Japan. And South Korea recently joined the U.S.-led multinational cyber, cyber defense exercise dubbed Cyber Flag for the first time. Meanwhile, it's also said that Biden will have the first in-person summit with China's Xi Jinping ahead of G20 and discuss various issues, including North Korea. Yeah, again, I mean, I think the only thing or topic of discussion that the two leaders could agree on uh, with Biden and Xi is probably going to be on North Korea because uh, White House officials did say that uh, Biden is going to bring up things like human rights uh, for China and uh, what they called were uh, shady economic dealings in China. And so there's going to be a lot of attacks by uh, Biden. I don't know how Xi Jinping is really going to like this, but uh, it is their first uh, in-person. I believe uh, Biden and she had uh, five phone conversations uh, in the past. Uh, in the meantime, President Yoon's overseas trip, uh, sparking some tensions between the presidential office and the media, uh, or a specific broadcaster uh, not being allowed on Air Force One, where, of course, uh, the journalists of the presidential press corps uh, usually travels together on on these uh, presidential trips abroad. Uh, The presidential office explained its reason behind the move. So uh, so what did did they say? Well, I think this story needs some background information. First off, uh, two days before President Yoon's overseas trip, local broadcaster NBC's reporters have been banned from boarding Air Force One for the trip to Cambodia and Indonesia. The presidential office cited the station's repeated distorted coverage for this ban. It didn't specify which coverage, but uh, for everyone who followed the news uh, a few months ago, you'll know it's got to do with President Yoon's earlier overseas trip. Uh, Because back then, uh, NBC reported that President Yoon was using vulgar language and subtitled the video without confirming. Uh, So no one really knows whether the president back then said what NBC reported or not, as it was difficult to decipher the remarks caught on hot mic. So the presidential office in a note on Wednesday said... 
Quote, the boarding of the presidential jet has been a service provided to help with coverage of foreign policy and security issues and in consideration of NBC's repeated distorted and biased coverage of foreign policy issues recently, we have decided not to provide the service. So there was, of course, some backlash towards this ban uh, with NBC and also journalist associations claiming that this is a repression and violence uh, against the press. There is a lot of controversy regarding this because um, the uh, the presidential office says that uh, this uh, trip, these kinds of trips, they come from tax money from the nation's citizens to get those reporters on that plane. But then, actually, the broadcasters uh, do say that they are paying for their reporters to go on that plane. So there is some controversy regarding this issue. And a number of media workers organizations released a joint statement saying that uh, this is in clear defiance of the Constitution that guarantees press freedom. And these groups include the Korea Reporters Federation, the Korea Broadcasting Journalists Association, and the Korea Press Photographers Association as well. Now, meanwhile, newspapers Hangyore and Gyeongyang refused to board the presidential jet and joined NBC on a on different a boycott. plane oh, wow. and uh, basically showing we are on your side. Now, what I want to mention is something uh, related to this uh, story. Um, I think uh, many people might not know that actually there are punishments, kind of penalties or punishments made for uh, reporters at, you know, ministries or that cover the ministry or the presidential office. So then you have, for instance, the ban for a reporter to actually uh, enter the press room for a week or a month. Mm -hmm. So uh, it can be seen as some kind of punishment that you that actually the reporters do see uh, do get in many cases. But in this case, it wasn't it's a suspension, just, but the, you're, you're yeah. talking about a suspension. But, I mean, this is just completely banning, right? And so the controversy with this right now and and what a lot of people are comparing this to is, do you remember? Because I've been seeing, I've been reading up on a lot of the NBC coverages. And it's, it's a war between the UN administration and NBC. Mm. Uh, but it reminded me of, remember when uh, former President Donald Trump was uh, in office? And uh, who, who do you always have war with? He, he was not a big fan of CNN. Mm. And there was a point where CNN White House uh, reporter uh, was basically banned from joining the White House uh, press corps, right? And so that was the big controversy. And, and then uh, everyone is saying, well, I mean, this looks very similar to what happened over during the, uh, the Trump administration uh, because what Trump was basically saying at the time was CNN was distorting facts and they're uh, putting out fake news and, you know, you know, uh, fake news and it, all that you know fake news left and right only from CNN and all the right news all the correct news coming in from Fox News and things like that and uh, everyone is now comparing this incident to that of Trump and CNN um, there's going to be a lot of backlash uh, in regards to this especially when we talk about the freedom of press um, and uh and of course, the, the the conservatives are saying, you know, we, you know, we're boycotting NBC. And if you've seen, there's been like protests all over in front of like NBC and things like that for quote unquote distorting uh, facts. But I, I I'm not gonna uh, like defend the presidential office or anything. But mm-hmm. I just wanted to add that they actually said we're not banning them from covering anything of the overseas trip. Just wanted to add that. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So uh, well, we'll see what happens uh, after that because the CNN reporter did end up returning uh, to the White House later on. Uh, let's move on to. 
some potentially big news for uh, the South Korean economy. Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman Al Saud uh, will visit South Korea next week. Uh, many are expecting that he may have talks with uh, his uh, South Korea, uh, many, many of the uh, the South Korean major companies, like uh, like three years ago, I believe uh, he came as well. Uh, Sebon, let's get some details on that front. Yes, SJ. Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Muhammad bin Salman Al Saud is scheduled to visit South Korea on November 17th and 18th after attending the G20 summit to be held in Bali, Indonesia. It's been three years since his previous visit to Korea. To briefly introduce him first, the Crown Prince is known as the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia on behalf of his father. The purpose of his visit this time is to seek investors and companies to join the Neum City project led by himself. This project is to build a low-carbon smart city that is 44 times bigger than the size of Seoul in desert and mountain areas near the Red Sea. The total project cost is estimated at about $500 billion, which means that it is a mega-scale project, so that companies in a lot of countries are now seeking opportunities to join this project. As his plan to visit Korea is revealed, many are expecting that he may have talks with South Korea's major companies just like he did three years ago. In 2019, he was invited to Samsung's VIP guest house for discussions on business partnership with the leaders of Samsung, Hyundai Motors, SK Group, LG Group, and Lotte Group. So some are saying that the Crown Prince will may request for another meetings again with such business leaders as their companies have global competitiveness in technologies required to build a smart city, such as urban air mobility, renewable energy, hydrogen, and eco-friendly vehicles. Earlier than that, Won Hiryong, Minister of Land, Infrastructure and Transport, said that if there is an event at the highest level between the two countries, relevant ministries will make various proposals to Saudi Arabia as one team to increase the possibility that Korean companies can participate in the Neum City project. All right. Uh, in the meantime, guys, today uh, being November 11th, uh, for many young people out there, it might be a certain day to share these uh Chocolate, Chocolate sticks. sticks that don't, don't even really taste that good. Uh, but uh, for many of us, uh, today is even more important because it's a day to remember the brave UN soldiers who participated in the Korean War. And I think this is important because uh, the Korean one is the Korean War is often dubbed as the Forgotten War, right? And so it's important that we don't forget the heroes that took part in the Korean War. An annual memorial ceremony took place in the South uh, southern port city of Busan on this Friday. So let's get some details of this. Sure. So November 11th marks International Memorial Day for UN veterans to honor the UN veterans that participated in the Korean War, which broke out on June 25th, 1950 and ended uh, with an armistice in uh, July 27th, year 53. So a c- ceremony called Turn Toward Busan was at the UN Memorial Cemetery in Busan today. This event has been held since 2007 and interestingly it's been founded by a Canadian Korean War veteran That's called right. Vincent Courtney and yeah. he also named it Turn Toward Busan uh, and Busan this is a very important location uh, because actually uh, the United Nations Memorial Cemetery in Busan is the only cemetery dedicated for uh, UN uh, uh, war um, veterans. veterans yes and uh, right so 
Today on this uh, day on at 11 a.m. they held a one minute uh, minute of silence for the the sacrifices made during the Korean War by the UN soldiers and also uh, Korea's Ministry of Patriots and Veterans Affairs uh, officials and uh, also I think uh, the Prime Minister was there as well uh, to take part in this service and uh, I also want to mention now this day was founded back in 2007 but it took a few years after it really became an official a day where we can commemorate this moment. So that's maybe why many people are not really aware of November 11th marking such an important day. So, yes. Yeah, and um, I remember on our show we had a chance to uh, speak to a uh, Korean War veteran uh, from the United States. And, uh, you know, he had a chance to visit Busan and he could not believe uh, how different that Busan has become, different of a city Busan has become, uh, obviously during the uh, time that the Korean War was going on and now, because I mean, Busan is a bustling city right now. Uh, speaking of which, um, aside from during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, obviously there were no Korean veterans that were invited to Korea. Uh, but uh, this year we have uh, some uh, eased measures in place. We had a number of veterans coming to Korea to celebrate the International Memorial Day for UN veterans of the Korean War. Several must get some details on that. Sure, stay. The Ministry of Patriots and Veteran Affairs inv- invited... Oh, we've well, we got some music going on here. <laughs> what? Well, no, sorry. Uh, we have... So it has her uh, uh, notebook computer that some music came on. But nevertheless, continue on. Okay. So as the uh, the Ministry of Patriots and Veterans Affairs invited a total of 114 veterans of the Korean War and their families to Korea. At the invitation of the ministry, the visitors, including 27 veterans from the United States, Britain, Canada, Turkey, Australia, the Netherlands, Colombia, and France, will attend various events to recognize their sacrifices and honor the fallen heroes for six days, starting from Monday to Saturday this week. Uh, Thomas Tanaka, who is 95 years old, is the oldest visiting veteran. He fought in the 1942 Second Battle of the Hook as a U.S. private first class, according to the ministry. And also among the families of the veterans, Ronald Montclair, the son of French General Ralph Montclair, the hero of the Battle of Jipyeongni, is also visiting Korea. It is widely known that General Montclair played a critical role in deterring the Chinese Communist forces' advance and helping the UN forces change the course of the war in the Battle of Jipyeongni. So Minister Park explained that UN veterans are heroes who dedicated their youth and lives to defend a country they never heard and people they never met during the war 72 years ago. So far, three, uh, 33,604 veterans of the 22 countries have visited Korea through the Revisit Korea program that started in 1975. Yeah, and, and I mentioned this before on the show, but uh, Korea is probably uh, one of the only, if not one of the very few countries that still uh, pay tribute to its uh, veterans, uh, even during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic when it first started off, uh, even when there was a shortage of face, uh, face masks here in Korea, they made sure that some of the veterans overseas were getting their 
uh, face mask. They're making sure they get everything, you know, some kind of gift, right? They were sending mm-hmm. gifts to the veterans here. And every year uh, they have this uh, visiting Revisit Korea program, which I think is fantastic. And we had a chance to talk to some of the veterans again who, who took part in the Revisit uh, Korea program. And they were just absolutely in awe on how much Korea was able to change. And it is thanks to uh, the heroes uh, of the, the Korean War mm-hmm. uh, that we see a, a country like this right now. I actually was uh, for Arirang, for a documentary for Arirang. I was in Canada years ago where children from Korea, students went to Canada and to other countries. I mean, they chose the uh, country every year Mm -hmm. to say their thanks to the veterans there. So I think these kinds of events are really necessary and meaningful. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, uh, again, my apologies for that music that came out from my laptop. I was trying to go into our Korea Now YouTube channel, but I didn't know the sound was on, so my apologies well, for I that. Well, I mean, but, but <laughs> thanks to that, now you have a new nickname, apparently. it's uh, Which is Music Soa, as mu- I can mu- read mu- here. Yeah, Music Soa <laughs> is the new nickname. <laughs> uh, let's shift focus uh, to the economy, but uh, over in the U.S. right now, I guess a bit of a good news that's coming out over there when it comes to uh, terms of inflation. Um, so uh, what's the latest over there? Right, so consumer prices rose at a slower than expected pace. The consumer price index, of course, being the index that indicates inflation or not. So data released on Thursday local time showed a 7.7% growth in the month of October compared to the same month last year. It's still an increase and it's way higher than where the U.S. government wants readings to be, which is at around the 2% level. But it's a slower increase than expert estimates that expected a 79 9% increase. So compared to last month, consumer prices inched up 0.4%. So that's compared to the month before the, yeah. uh, and which is also below previous forecasts of a 0.6% rise. And uh, making a comparison to September, the CPI grew 8.2% on year. And earlier in the year, we also had a 9% uh, level increase in the U.S. So, yes, it is a downward trend. Uh, the annual growth is also at its lowest level since January. The so-called core CPI, which excludes food and energy prices, right. went up 0.3% from the previous month, an improvement from the 0.6% posted in September, and also, again, below economists' prediction of a 0.5% increase. Uh, And if we take a look at uh, the categories where prices went down, medical care costs, used vehicles, uh, apparels and airline fares went down. Uh, But housing prices and in many cases, that's rents Mm -hmm. went up quite a lot, 0.8 percent up on month. And that was responsible for more than half of the consumer price index's increase. And so all of this is hinting that the Federal Reserve's continuous interest rate hikes might be working. Uh, If you remember, the big steps started in March and economists did say the effects would start to materialize around six to nine months after that. So this may be the beginning. Uh, But uh, as the cooling of the inflation definitely fuels hopes, uh, this could be seen in sharp increases in the U.S. stock market. But experts say... Um, not too fast. It may be an overreaction as a one month of data does not necessarily translate into victory. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I said this on the show before, but now that we're going into the winter season right now, uh, one of the big concerns is going to be energy prices Mm -hmm. once again uh, with the the gas fees. And so there's going to be a shortage of gas, natural gas. Uh, I don't know if the U.S. is going to feel the brunt of uh, the the, the shortage of the U.S., uh, what is it, the natural gas, to be honest with you, but the other countries are. Uh, So they're saying the inflation 
might start inching up once again because of the shortage of natural gas. Uh, but nevertheless, with, with the report of uh, slowing down of the inflation in the U.S., what it does do is it does kind of affect the Korean economy in terms of stocks and the foreign exchange market as well. So, Sevom, uh, let's get some information on that. All right. As Sua reported on hopes that the Federal Reserve could slow the pace of aggressive monetary tightening over eased inflation pressures, the South Korean currency rose sharply today. The local currency began today's session at 1,347.51 and closed at 1,318.41 against the U.S. dollar, up 59.11, from the previous session's close. And if you look at the stock market, Korean stocks also got off to a strong start, tracking overnight Wall Street gains. So if you look at the details, the benchmark Kospi surged 3.37% compared to the previous session, closing at 2,483.16, while Kostak rose 3.31%, closing at 731.22. One researcher from Kim Securities said that as October's CPI results were encouraging and there is no major event scheduled for the time being, stock markets can be boosted back by the rise in the local currency against the U.S. dollar. Yeah, it's incredible how much the uh, the Korean one has bounced back because mm-hmm. a buddy of mine's actually been visiting from the U.S. for the past uh, two weeks and uh, when he was changing money, as soon as he landed, he said, I'm not going to change all my money. I think the U.S. dollar is going to continue to go down. He had to change more money. He's like, I'm not getting the same kind of money I got before. <laughs> but obviously for us, uh, it is good news. Uh, also, the U.S. decided to keep South Korea and six other countries on a monitoring list in regards to currency practices and macroeconomic policies as well. Uh, so I'll give us the details on what this means. Well, on Thursday, the U.S. Treasury Department released its latest report to Congress on macroeconomic and foreign exchange policy of major trading partners of the U.S. South Korea remained on the list of seven nations. The others are China, Japan, Germany, Singapore, Taiwan, and Malaysia. Uh, The semi-annual publication is released following a review and assessment of U.S.'s major trading partners that make up around 80% of U.S. foreign trade in goods and services. Now, the reason for being on this list differs by country. In the case of South Korea, it's the strong surplus in bilateral trade that keeps the U.S.'s ally under close monitoring. Uh, The report said it estimates Korean authorities sold foreign exchange at increasing amounts in line with the continuously depreciation of the uh, Korean won. Uh, It added that Korea should limit currency intervention to exceptional circumstances, citing the country's well-developed institutions and markets. Uh, And I also want to mention how China was actually mentioned more uh, in many articles, uh, with the Treasury calling on increased transparency from the country. It referred to Beijing as an outlier among major economies, citing, among other factors, its failure to publish foreign exchange intervention. Yeah, again, and, uh, you know, the U.S. has never been shy about uh, talking about what they called were terrible practices uh, mm-hmm. conducted by the Chinese government when it comes to the global economy and so forth. And uh, that was one of the things that uh, they were uh, going to bring. Well, Joe Biden is going to probably bring up during his uh, summit talks with uh, Xi Jinping. I don't know how Xi Jinping is going to uh, kind of uh, 
you know, respond to that, to be honest with you. Um, also, as reported uh, previously on our show before, there are increasing concerns when it comes to Korean short-term money market over the potential credit crunch. crunch. Uh, this triggered by the Legoland default crisis. Uh, we've talked about this uh, quite a bit. Uh, financial authorities decided to ramp up its support as CP interest has uh, continued to soar even after the government unveiled a series of steps to stabilize the debt market here. Uh, Sebo, can you explain to us the authorities' new support plans here? Okay. It's apparent that the legal land crisis delivered a heavy blow to the Korean short-term money market. Despite the government-led support, supports and efforts to increase liquidity in the market, Class A1 91-day commercial paper's interest rate recorded highest yesterday since January 2009, closing at 5.09% compared to the previous session. As previous liquidity measures were found to be ineffective, South Korea's financial regulator decided to inject more than 2.8 trillion won in liquidity to prop up the market and ease worries over a possible credit crunch. The money will be pumped into the Project Financing Asset-Backed Commercial Paper, or PFABCP, market, according to the Financial Services Commission. Under this plan, over 1 trillion won will be provided to purchase builders guaranteed PFABCPs through CP buying programs of the state-run Korea Development Bank and the Korea Credit Guarantee Fund. About 1.8 trillion won will also be injected for brokerages-backed PFABCPs. And also, as part of its efforts, the Korea Development Bank will also shorten the screening period for its securities-backed CP buying program from 10 to 5 working days, which is expected to speed up the pace of CP buying processes. This decision is the latest in a series of steps that the government has unveiled to stabilize the debt market after the legal land crisis took place. The government earlier decided to inject at least 50 trillion won in liquidity into the debt market, mostly through bond buying schemes. It, it also urged local banks to minimize bond selling as part of market stabilization efforts. Yeah, again, I mean, there's there's so much effort both uh, on the state level, uh, you know, the government level uh, to somehow uh, solve this issue with this uh, legal land crisis right now and it seems like they're doing a lot but is there going to be a full-on uh, I, I just still feel like there's no solution to what's happening with the legal land crisis right now there's going to be a lot uh, of course the Kangwon province where uh, the legal land uh, is currently being built right now and it, it was it Yuzhoa that talked about how they're closing down for the the winter season for maintenance right. or something like that. For, it I was think like, it was for like three months. months or, yeah, yeah, three months, which that, again, uh, people are saying, well, no, it's a regular maintenance that's going on in Legoland. But, I mean, who really goes to three months of uh, maintenance? And also, if you have three months that are out, I mean, I, from what I understand, business is not so good at the Legoland in the first place. If you're going to close down for three months, uh, that's also going to trigger. And... Uh, a lot of people are saying from the get-go, there was just a lot of bad signs, not a lot, a whole lot of good signs that mm -hmm. Legoland was going to work out, uh, you know, too well in that area. We talked about how Legoland is probably should have been uh, located in an area where it's more accessible to a lot of people out there. But I think it's just more than just that right now. This is there's a, a bigger issue than just a lack of 
uh, I guess, foot traffic and uh, Legoland at this time. But hopefully, because this is going to put a major impact on the South Korean economy, uh, hopefully we'll buy, find some uh, solution to this. Guys, nevertheless, thank you very much, as always, for uh, coming in with your reports today. Please have a safe weekend. We'll see you guys again next week. Thank you. See thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.